Sammy. And I'm Mandy. And you're listening to Ice Cream Sunday, the podcast where we talk about whatever we want under the guise of horror movies. And today we're talking about, I think, one of both of our favorite movies, yeah. <laughs> um, The Cabin in the Woods. And really, I came up with watching this, not because I felt like either one of us really needed to watch it again, uh, but just because I enjoy it so much and my boyfriend had never seen it. And so I figured this was like a really good excuse to get him to watch it with me. Yeah. And there are just so many good meta horror movies and it's such a fun subgenre to talk about. And this is such a huge entry in that subgenre. Yeah, it's so important. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's it, so it, great. It didn't do it first, but arguably no. it did it best. I think it definitely did it best. So yeah, I I I know at the end of our last episode, I was like, uh, I stole this one out from underneath you as my joint. <laughs> so rude of me. Um but but it was for good reason. Yeah, because I wanted to make sure he had seen it and and I wanted to explain like to him, like, this is why it's important to me. Um, so this might be kind of a, a not as straightforward uh, episode because we're I don't think we're going to be like recapping it beat for beat. And I should just say this at the outset. I mean, I feel like most of the episodes have been this way, but I mean, there's nothing about this movie that's not a spoiler because it's just like it like the best way to go into this movie is with absolutely no expectations mm -hmm. and not know anything about it going in. And I was lucky enough the first time I saw this movie, I had no idea uh, what it was about. I had I had no idea where it was going to go. And that's what made it like such an enjoyable first watch. Um, yeah, go ahead. That's uh, the exact same for me. I am. Um a notorious uh spoiler hunter um <laughs> i don't even realize i'm doing it but like the urge just gets overpowering and for this one yeah i just went into it with a blank slate and i don't know why i don't do that more often i yeah, feel like should. i need to be surprised more in my life yeah um <laughs> And I'm really working on that. Like I did let I did it last night with um the movie host on Shudder. So I'm glad I did that. But also not so glad because I had a hard time sleeping. <laughs> so you're like, well, if I had known what to expect, maybe I would have slept better, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> that is uh, actually my um thought processes I'm exactly. Sure I, I'm sure that was your takeaway. Um but yeah, so yeah, I I've been there's like some movies like I, I work really hard not to like I try to not even watch trailers yeah. for Star Wars movies and Marvel movies like I try not to watch those at all and I'm like I really don't want to get spoiled by anything I really don't want to be influenced by anything yeah so, like as soon as like Star Wars trailers come out like a, you know a year or whatever before I'm like I'm not watching I haven't seen them like and, and I try to go into things not knowing anything as much as possible but like yeah, I don't know. I feel like for horror movies, I generally do. I look into those more than other genres because mm -hmm. um, I'm yeah, because I'm like curious. Uh, but I feel like I'm trying to think of some of the series where I didn't look into anything like the Purge movies. I didn't look into like I I tried to look into that as little as possible because I wanted to be surprised by those. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, this movie, like I had heard about it. And like when it came out, I had heard about it and I yeah. didn't see it right away. And then a few years later, it was 
there's like this really great um, hotel. Um, we'll just say up north because that's what we say in Wisconsin. And um, they have they always have like movies for rent and they're like two dollars a movie. And they they have like interesting picks. It's not like the stuff that you would expect to see. And they switch them out pretty frequently. So it's really fun to like go rent movies. And so this was maybe like six years ago or something when I first saw it. And. I had rented Cabin in the Woods and I rented um, Life After Beth oh. and was like pleasantly surprised by both. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Life After Beth wasn't, I'm not going to put that on the same level as as Cabin in the Woods. No, like, no, oh, no. No way, no, no way, no how. But it was a really interesting, I mean, maybe someday we could talk about Life After Beth because it's such an interesting uh, take on zombies. Yes. Like, Ooh, that would be a good yeah. theme. Like, um zombie movies that subvert the genre a little bit yeah yeah that that like they like chose their own lore and stuff and i thought that that was really cool so there's there's some really interesting things about yeah about zombies in that movie but the cabin in the woods i was like Wow. And I remember, and this is actually something that I pulled up, an article I pulled up that's like uh, facts from Mental Floss, like 10 facts about, you know, the cabin in the woods. And the first thing was the opening scene was meant to confuse audiences. And Uh when I put in the DVD, I was like, wait, is this the wrong DVD? (laughs) And I actually ejected it. And oh, looked no. at it and was like, "Oh yeah, this is the right one," and put it back in and kept watching because I was like, "I was like, this doesn't look like a bunch of youths heading to a cabin." So I was like, "What the hell is happening?" I was like so confused, and that's so great. Yeah, that, like that, like it confused me so much that I was like, "This is clearly." The wrong movie. It was such a good opener because they're just like the dude's just like nursing his coffee and they're talking about the most mundane middle-aged man shit. And then you get like the murder font. <laughs> like yeah. they just slam the title in your face out of nowhere. And um that got a huge laugh from me when I first saw it in the theaters. It's so good. And I'm trying to remember, there's another movie that did that. Where I was like, wait, is this the right movie? And I'm and it's one I've seen a bunch of times and like at Right now, I can't remember what it was. Um, but and if I think of it during this, I'll probably just like yell it. Yeah. Um, but there was like another there's like another movie that I watch. And it's like every time I watch it, I forget that it starts weird. Uh-huh. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, it starts like this. And and the first time I had seen it, I was like, what the hell is even happening? Um, God. And I and it's one that's in my regular rotation, which is why I'm going nuts right now. But anyway, I'll think of it and then I'll yell it to all of you. Okay. But this was but this is I love movies that like that. Yeah, have a really like really unpredictable open. Yeah. And yeah, they were talking about like child proofing cabinets and stuff. <laughs> and I was like, I really don't understand. But I, I do think that they the the way that they reveal what's happening is so well done. Yeah. Like they, they peel it back layer by layer and I don't know, it's like a really satisfying reveal to me, like from the beginning to the end of the movie Mm -hmm. and having it start with just being like, Hey, we're going to let you in on what's happening behind the scenes right away. Even though you, you don't really know the first time you're watching it, that that's what they're doing. Yeah. is so cool. Like, 
and on a, on repeat watches, it's that part's more satisfying. So it's fun to watch again when you know what's going to happen because then you pick up on all the little things that they say mm-hmm. and, you know, those little moments that you're like, oh, but I actually, well, I don't know. I have a question. Sure. About the overall structure of the movie, but I don't know if we should talk about that later or now. Hmm. Well, I feel like this movie is like so in the cultural zeitgeist, zeitgeist, however you say it, that like you do, like you said, you don't we don't really need to recap it that much. Right. I feel so, like a lot of people have seen it. So we can like, yeah, I want to. So I want to. Yeah, I want to talk about like questions that I have about the movie because I really love it. And, well, and so so this was the first time my boyfriend had ever seen it. He is not a horror movie person. Yeah. It takes it takes me some time to convince him to watch movies. And I'm very careful about what I show him because I don't want my privileges revoked. So like he actually ended up watching copycat, which was weird because I didn't expect him to, but he just like started getting pulled in and sat down. And yeah. so I was like, Ooh, and, and I, I would like to watch Zodiac with him. I think that would be fun. Yeah. Um, because I don't think he's ever seen it. And it's just a really, are we well with the same man? Yeah, probably. And, and also, can I tell you how I almost got my horror privileges revoked? Tell me how you almost got your privileges revoked. I think the first horror movie I showed him, um, because he's also not very much a horror guy, but he had seen Cabin in the Woods. Um, He does like horror light. But I was like, ooh, but here are my horror movies. And not thinking I threw him into the deep end with um, Insidious. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. And that I almost that was about almost the last time, but he gave me another chance. That's nice of him. Yeah. See now, so Tuck had seen it, and he liked it. So I will be able to watch Chapter Two with him at some point. Wonderful. And that's that's good because that movie. I mean, you saw me; it made me cry so much. I think (laughs) weren't we both crying pretty hard? Yeah, I was like, oh my god, my feeling. I had I did not expect that at all, and I was like, it's so beautiful. What the fuck? Um, it's really great movie, and so I'm excited to watch that with him. Uh, we watched Get Out together, and he had seen it before, but he can't remember where. But we both enjoy that, so it's like. And and we watched Midsummer together. So I'm like really trying to pick like, you know, those those like, well, everybody loves it. And yeah. it's like and it's critically acclaimed. So you should watch it, yeah. you know, type of stuff. Um, but what what he said he really enjoyed about about the cabin in the woods was and and, and there are some things that he wasn't like he's like, it's just not my thing. You know, he's like, it was good. It's a good movie, but it's just not my kind of movie. And he can separate that and still appreciate that it's a good movie, which is fine. So I was like, thank you for humoring me. And he said, um, he's like, but what I really like about it is when they're telling the story of, you know, the characters in the woods. He's like, I love that it's over the top without being bad, that they they it's clearly like they're clearly parried parroting, you know, this you know, this type of horror movie. Yeah. Like it's it's like a slasher movie. The acting is over the top, but it's not bad. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know how they did it. I said, that's just like good writing and good acting. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, because yeah, it's like they just walk that line of um, you know, like this could be really cheesy and really hacky in the wrong hands, but it was in the right hands and they and they did it the right way. Mm-hmm. Where and, and like I think you know, like the the slow progression of the characters of you know 
like the blonde getting dumber and you know like the and like the stoner slowly becoming the hero and like all of that stuff they they did in a in a way that felt really like natural and gradual too like I just that was the that was the kind of stuff that made me really appreciate the movie and he really liked you know seeing Marty's character go from being like a joke to being the hero he thought was like the coolest part of the movie yeah yeah it was um, the hero's journey that I feel like Randy and Scream would have deserved if he wasn't played by uh, Jamie Kennedy. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I think Marty was a like and yeah, it's like you think a lot about Scream when you're watching this movie and like you can't avoid it. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, it totally is like it's the better version of like the explaining of that. And, you know, oh, my God, you know, and it's like and then you think about the whole like oh let's all stick together and then they like pipe something in and they're like let's split up we'll cover more ground that way and you're like no (laughs) (laughs) he would be screaming (laughs) like don't do that (laughs) like what are you doing yeah and he's just like are you guys serious like what is why is that like marty's just all of us like what we were almost there we almost saved each other yes we just screwed it up like like that that kind of stuff was really fun and to I, watch. I, yeah, and I love the heartwarming message of like why he wasn't turned. That like message to kids, like if you do enough drugs, the government will not be able to control your mind. Yeah, so do drugs, kids. <laughs> well, because they were like, we even treated his weed, and they're yeah. like, but for some reason, uh, he smokes so much weed that it counteracts the drugs we put in the his drugs. Like, wow. But I love, like, yeah. I mean, all of the things that kind of when they start to see that there's like observation going on in, in the house, like the, you know, the, the wiring, you know, that he discovers and like the two way mirror and all of that stuff where it's like, wait, what is this house? And like, why is it this way? And like the, the whispering that comes in and all of that, you know, it's yeah. like that, that kind of stuff was really great too, where it's like, okay, this is obviously not, you know, this is not normal, but Actually, I do have a question about the two-way mirror because I still I feel like they used it a couple times, but I don't know why they didn't like get back to it or why that was really there because it's like that's for them, but it's not really for it's not like anybody's going to come in there and watch anything. Yeah. So mm. Like is there like I, a scene that's missing or something? Like you know what I mean? I just feel like that was kind of a I always, it was a fun part, but yeah. I don't yeah. That yeah, and like my only theory is it was to like um heighten the entertainment value of the observers because they're like, oh, we'll have a girl in one room and a boy in the other, and he can see the two way mirror, and everyone's getting real horny now, and that's gonna be fun for us to watch. Okay, that's what I I mean. I was like, is it anything beyond that? But then because they switch and he didn't really fall into it, that's kind of like screwed that plan up. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Here's another little piece of trivia that I just found from this article. Uh, the wolf head uh, <laughs> that, um, oh God, what was her character's name? Uh, uh, was it Beth? I, I thought it was Beth. Yeah. I think Beth. Anna Hutchinson. Uh, so she made out with this wolf, right? During yeah. Truth or Dare. They put powdered sugar on the wolf's tongue. <laughs> To, like, make it more fun for her to make out with it, I guess. Oh. 
Uh, that's what it says. <laughs> if the, the tongue was detachable and made from silicone. So they put a little bit of like powdered sugar on it. That was very kind of them. I think so too. Cause that kind of sucked. Oh, this is great. Okay. This, this is interesting because while I was watching this again, I was like, man, this would have made such a great video game. This would be such a fun video game to play. Like yeah. if you could go to the cellar and you could change the story that happens in the cabin and try and basically like um you know until dawn it yeah I mean, this this is just like until dawn really it really is <laughs> yeah i think that's why same. i enjoy playing until dawn so many times right because it's like you can change the story and you can you know you do you do have that like that satisfaction of doing that but um apparently it was going to have a video game tie-in <gasps> oh yes um, but they had said that it was going to be ported into the Left for Dead series. Oh. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Oh. And it, it's so here, this is what it says. Video game tie. This is from Mental Floss. Uh, video game tie-ins have become the standard for a ton of genre movies, but instead of making a crappy game on the cheap, The Cabin in the Woods was going to be ported into the already popular Left for Dead series. It was a natural fit as players could have fought their way through both the cabin setting and the underground bureaucratic office. There are still Left for Dead monsters inside the cube facility in the movie, but the movie never made its way into the game because the original studio went bankrupt and the delay in release killed the crossover. Man. I know. That would have been fun. Um so that is really interested, really interesting. Um, yeah, I I just kept thinking this is like this is like if I mean I like Until Dawn, but this would be a really fun like alternative Until Dawn type of game to play where where it's you know because like Until Dawn I'm not to, I don't want to ruin that game for people who haven't played it, but you know it's like it really isn't you're not like you're not getting into cabin in the woods territory where it, there's like an office or something. It's not like, it's not like that or like the village or something like that. It's like, it's still set in the cabin, you know? Um, but it would be so cool to like, yeah, be able to pick exactly like what horror scenario happens to you when you're in the cellar, like picking an item. Oh my God. Like I've, I've thought about that so many times. Like, Oh, I want to know what the other ones looked like. You what know? would, what scenario would you pick? Um, well, I was really curious, like, um, when Beth was picking up like the wedding dress and the necklace and stuff, I'm like, what the hell was that one? Like, I don't, I was really, really curious about that one. Yeah. Because I don't think we even see that when they're, unless it's just the ghost. Um, but we don't even see that when they're like, you know, looking through all the cubes and stuff. You don't see that one play out. You see the ballerina play out. You see that that like music box play out. Uh, you see the merman, you know, you see a lot of the scenarios, but you don't see that one. So I've just always been curious. Like that was the one that I feel like had the, the like no reveal to it, at least yeah. not one that I noticed. What about you? Um, I think I would have gone with um, the puzzle box. Yeah. With the, cause I love Hellraiser and I would love to see what Hellraiser would look like in a video game. Well, that was that that was that guy, right? Yeah, with the the, with the, the saws circular in saws in his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was kind of that was. So at least you got to see him, which was cool. I mean, and God, the real creepy thing about that part was just how still everybody was. Like you see these really creepy things, but some of them were just like standing there, and you're yeah. like, oh my god, like that's effed up. 
But I think, you know, like they picked the right one in terms of, um, you know, I, I like the idea that that's something that everybody gravitates towards. And that's why like, like the whole, the whole back office side of it where it's like, oh, maintenance picks that every year. And because they know it's probably going to win. Yeah. <laughs> because like it's, it's going to pay off someday. Yeah. Like, well, and it sounds like it pays off quite, quite often, yeah. you know? And, and it's like, yeah, cause it's just kind of human nature to gravitate towards, towards a, a diary. And I also think that's great commentary for like, God, who was I watching play on Twitch the other day? Somebody was playing a game and they're like, God is, does every game have to be about like cults? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, every game has to be about cults. Like I was just, I haven't like gone all the way through it. Um, I started playing it around Christmas and, and then I got really wrapped up in some other games, but I got to get back to it. I've been playing Bendy and the Ink Machine. And even that is like has a weird cult thing to it. And you're like, why does it like every game is Bioshock? Uh, and <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, like that stuff's kind of fun. But but it's all it's all like post-apocalyptic and and culty and whatever. And um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's like that's that's a really like that's something that we're really fascinated by and i think watching humans do something terrible to one another is just really it's interesting to us because if we're not like that we really want to understand it like yes. it's you know it's very confounding to us and we just want to make sense of it um and i you know i think it's like self preservation i think it's I don't know what else, but, but you know what I mean? Like, uh, so it makes sense that they would, that they would be like, oh, wow. Like, Hey guys, look at this. Like they wrote this diary and there's like, there's like a black room and, and like, and they're doing this for like, you know, religious reasons. And yeah. It's like, oh yeah, that's so like, we all are so fascinated. by that. And high key, everyone wants to read someone's diary. Yeah, a hundred percent. So it's like I love, I love that maintenance always votes for that. I I love that idea, and I and and then the intern also voted. Yeah, <laughs> I the intern. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's so good. Um, and then so uh, apparently, and I'm sure this also doesn't surprise you. So let's. So here are some of my questions uh, about about the overall like structure of the movie and like the goal of the movie and whatever, when they talk about like the, the archetypes that these characters fall under and how each one of these characters needs to be sacrificed to please these ancient gods that are living under the earth. Right. And Mm -hmm. like once a year, we got to have some kind of blood sacrifice and uh, it's the, the whore, the athlete, the scholar, the fool, and then the virgin can live or die mm-hmm. um, as long as their last they could live or die. Um, and that, I mean, that plays into like every slasher movie. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. And I was like explaining that to Tuck because like he, I think he kind of knows that, but he doesn't watch a lot of that stuff. And I'm like, but think about it. Like think about, you know, every Halloween, every Friday the 13th. And, you know, I was like, yeah, I just watched like hell night that, you know, same thing. Like, and he's like, oh yeah, I guess <laughs> it's like, yeah, you just, and, and I love, and I love at the end, you know, the whole, 
virgin. She's like, well, we work with what we, what we yeah. like, you know, sometimes we should, we'll get as close as we can get. Like, I love that too. It's like, well, we, we, we revise that, that idea with the times. We're not, we're not behind the times here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, like, I love that. Um, the notes on this article and it, and this makes sense that the, they, um, they talked about, uh, they, they made the care, the actors watch the breakfast club to like, give them the idea of like, this is kind of how we want your characters to be. Sure. Sure. Um, that totally makes sense to everybody. Uh, but my question really is about the other countries that are involved in this event. Because they and I and I, the the first time that this question ever popped into my brain was this last time I watched it on Friday. I was like, wait, like, but the the and we don't really get to see a lot. We see like little glimpses of what's happening in other countries. Japan is what we see the most. Yes. And Japan is like the ring, the grudge, that kind of <laughs> thing. Yeah. Um you know, possessed school child, uh, you know, who's, who's like attacking these students. But I was like, wait, but that's like a different type of story. And there aren't those types of characters in those stories. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so I was like, and, and they kind of explained it, like the director kind of explained it. A- another Sigourney Weaver movie. <laughs> um, she kind of explains it at the end because she was saying something like the story is like a little different depending on time and where you go. But this is kind of the general idea. Mm-hmm. But I was like, but I don't feel like I'm like, what are you saying? Like five of those students should die. Like, I feel like the goal of that was like the whole class would be decimated, you yeah. know? So like, how would they divide it that way? Or does or does that setup look different in Japan and the feed is different? And I was like, and I don't know if they were like planning on, um, like it sounds like they were planning on doing a crossover and maybe future movies. So maybe that question would have gotten answered, mm-hmm. but I don't get that. And I don't that know. Me. And I and I'm sorry if this complicates your feelings about the movie. <laughs> it just got me thinking about something I hadn't thought about before. You know how I hate that. <laughs> um No, it hmm. I don't know, maybe the archetypes are in the faculty. Yeah, maybe. That could be. Um but we yeah, I mean it's like when we were watching the when we were watching the feed, it was like the students were getting were locked in the room. Oh, hmm. Remember, and and then at the end, it's just the students in a circle around the child that's possessed, and then they turn her into a frog. Hmm. Uh, so that is confusing, and I don't know. I wonder. Actually, let me see. Um, uh, Could be that there are several gods with different rituals for each. That's what I was wondering, but then, but they were saying like, it's like, if, as long as you satisfy one, you're good. Yeah. So that's why I was like, so did they, does it matter as long as one wins? Like, and that's what I was saying. She explained, she explained something about how like, it's different depending on where you are, but then they didn't go into like, like they spent so much time focusing on Japan that that just like made it a question in my mind. Like, well, what does that even mean? Um, 
But yeah, like, okay. And then here, let's see. I'm looking at um, plot holes or continuity mistakes or um, let's see. I'm just looking to see if there's anything. Um, one of the things they talked about was like, so when they're in the elevator, um, you know, she's like the puppeteers make us choose our own desk because she sees that puzzle ball. Um, the character's name, I guess, was Fornicus holding it. Okay. Um, but she didn't see it in the cellar. Like, so she sees it, but she never saw Kurt holding it. Yeah. So that is that is a hole. Um, let's see. I'm looking for, okay, Reddit. Let's see. Oh, goofs. Um, let's see. Oh, <laughs> here's here's one of the questions that somebody had on reddit this is pretty good why the fuck is there a but or why the fuck is there a button that any single person in the security room can access and press that basically is the kill every living person who can potentially save the world horribly because fuck you button what even remotely possible use is there for it (laughs) they're talking about like when they're when they get out of the elevator and they get into that room and it's like open purge like why is that a button uh, I, I thought that too, but I, it was fun. I was really fun. Yeah. So, and then someone said, oh, the answer was, someone's answer was the point is that it doesn't make sense. Cabin in the Woods makes fun of a lot of the typical horror movie tropes like one dimensional characters or gratuitous nudity, nudity. I think the kill everything button is just another instance of the movie poking fun. Probably. Yeah. And then someone said, it's also why Sigourney Weaver shows up at the end. People are angry, throw in a big name celebrity. That'll satisfy them. <laughs> I also feel like Sigourney Weaver showing up at the end is becoming its own trope. <laughs> yeah. Or, ooh, I ha- I do have an idea. Okay. Let's so, like, there's the whole fail thing, and then the gods, like, come out and they're very angry. So maybe the purge button is, like, the suicide button, because no matter, like, what kind of like shit all these like monsters coming out at you would put you through would be nothing um compared to what like disappointed gods would put admin through for that's failing. A, that's a really good point. Yeah, it's like, hey, I would rather just get killed quick by like a werewolf or something. Yeah. So, I'll just get it over with. Like that that is so true. Um so someone oh, here and so someone else said this is a good thread. This is a really good thread. Uh, the movie is super meta, and I'm sure someone else here will do a better job of explaining. But that button is like satire of satire. <laughs> and the, and and then the answer said the monster control organization thing represents horror filmmakers, and the giant Cthulhu monsters are us, the viewers. <laughs> the organization has to do everything exactly right and sacrifice these teens in horrible getting eaten by monsters ways and in the right order or the Cthulhu people get pissed. Kind of like the whole stereotypical horror movie genre works. So you answered your own question in a way. The button is a character saying fuck you to both the organization and filmmakers and the giant monster people slash viewers, greatly upsetting the viewers and causing them to eat the world. Here a metaphor for posting about it on Reddit. So in <laughs> a way, your question sort of proves Joss Whedon's mildly pretentious point. TLDR button has no point except as a fuck you to the viewers, but is intentional and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Hmm. um so i think that that's that's interesting i i like reading these arguments these are yeah. really really good um but yeah um someone was oh yeah and then yeah so dana doesn't just hit the button she like flips a few switches first and then she hits the button um so they said uh it could 
be that in order to activate the system purge, first you need to shut off the control grid, deactivate the cross-department communication relay, turn on the automatic chamber recall, and flip the switch that aligns the chamber columns. And either by pure chance or because the switches are labeled, we don't get a good enough view of the control panel. There are switches she flips before hitting the red button. Is this theory perfect? I guess not, but it's about as plausible as an underground facility where zombies and dragon bats and unicorns run amok. (laughs) Oh my God, the murderous unicorn. (laughs) it's so good it's so good like and tuck really loves unicorns like yeah uh i would say he has animal print and unicorn things in his house in equal measure and and so i looked right at him as the unicorn stabbed that guy i was like hey what do you think (laughs) unicorns he's like that's pretty cool i was like right that's pretty cool um I was really hoping I'm going to look and see. Oh, and then they said, someone said it's like Deus ex machina, you know, that makes sense too, where it's like they're saved by this machine, by this button that just kills everything for them. Yeah. That's very true. That's like, that's also a really common thing in horror movies. So it's like, if you interpret it that way, then it's like, well, yeah, of course that would be there because how else are they going to get out of that? They're surrounded by agents. They need a, they need a machine Mm -hmm. and what better machine than a giant kill button? (laughs) Like that's, that's very true. Uh, I'm looking for Like, let me see like Jap. Okay. Japanese subplot. Let's see if someone else has that same. I'm just trying to see, I should have done this before, but I'm like, does somebody else have this? question for me because how did the japanese fail um that's a good question i'm looking to see if oh what are the rules okay what are the rules for other countries okay okay someone else asked the question what are the rules of the japanese scenario okay i'm so i knew i wasn't the only one to ask this question we know that it can't be exactly the same as the american scenario the americans only need five young adults when they talked about youth being the the um common factor yeah. so it's like it makes sense that it's japanese students whatever but they said does the japanese facility have other monsters if so do they make the victims choose as well are all of the children meant to each conform to some kind of archetype this is exactly my question or is it a gang of kids that they need does every japanese scenario take place at the school much like how the american scenario seems to always take place at the cat cabin or do the locations change what are the rules that are unique to the japanese scenario the americans have the harbinger the corruption of the whore the aforementioned choosing of the monster dude i'm so glad that somebody is asking this question because now i feel like i'm not alone um Someone said the ritual isn't a fixed thing. It's basically entertainment for the old ones. It's primetime television. So there aren't really any rules so much as time tested programming with minor tweaks to keep the audience interested. There's a wiki explanation of it. Uh, The ritual changed over centuries of time as the original rituals soon became mundane and boring to the ancient ones. Because remember, they were like, remember when we used to just be able to like throw a girl in a volcano? So it wasn't it wasn't just because it's like socially unacceptable to throw a girl in a volcano. Now it sounds like they were like, that's boring. Please do more interesting things to please us. We don't we don't just want blood. We also want to be entertained. Um. As time progressed, the deities began to demand more complicated acts to appease them in order to allow the earth to continue being inhabited by humanity. So it's like if they kept this going, the stakes would have just kept being raised more and more and more. Yeah. 
Um, at first, the rituals were simple sacrificial duties or ceremonial murder performed by pagan worshipers. For instance, Hadley Rance in an undisclosed time ago, the ritual was as simple as throwing a girl in a volcano. But as time went on, the desire for entertainment grew within the ancient ones. And so they began changing the roles of the ritual that had to be performed verbatim or they would unleash their wrath. Uh, basically, the Japanese version is have kids be tortured and die instead of have young adults be tortured and die. And that was the other thing. It's like they don't just want them to die. They want them to suffer. Right. Yeah. That was another thing they said at the end of the movie. Uh, beyond that, I'm not sure how much the rules really affect the outcome so long as the outcome is reached and important. The old ones are entertained. Um. Do the old ones have an FCC? How do they convey their desire for better programming? Do they submit <laughs> script ideas? <laughs> uh, trial and error, which is why they do so many different scenarios, even though only one needs to succeed. Oh, and, you know, they do they do signify that they're pleased by, like, earthquaking, right? Yeah. So sometimes a frequently used ritual will work, but the ancient ones won't accept the sacrifice, thus signaling that they have grown bored with that particular iteration. So they tweak and move on. Um, and they said, what's the signal that they feel met about a particular ritual? Remember when Hadley pulled the lever, but Marty hadn't actually died and everything shook? Oh, Hadley should have recognized that as a sign of displeasure because he didn't actually die. Oh. If a sacrifice goes perfectly and the ancient ones still do that, it's time to change the ritual. Whoa. Oh, and someone said they have a Reddit page, but it's said to private. Yeah. <laughs> That's why. that they, They're submitting it there, but it's just a private Reddit page. <laughs> now, um, I would I would think with, like, the way um, the two of them really shook things up by hitting the kill button, I would have thought the gods would have been like, what? Yeah. What a twist. Yeah, but they, yeah, they, that should have been very, well, maybe that's why they didn't intervene right away, because it was entertaining. Yeah. Right? It's like, look at all the people who died. Look at all the blood that got spilled. We're just going to let this play out. Because they didn't intervene until it was like, hey, but actually we do need the fool to die, because that's part of it. So yeah, you, you're breaking these rules, so he's got to go. Um, And they said, uh, let's see. The organization has a little bit of direct contact with the ancient ones. Perhaps they even help out a little as the organization's biochem technology is decades ahead of the rest of humanities. Um, oh, in the old days, you have priests, seers, druids, shamans, with do witch doctors to convey what the gods wanted. Things were simpler back then. Slit a virgin's throat, burn some witches, or dig out a man's heart on the top of the Chichen Itza, and you're good. <laughs> now we live in modern society contact now nowadays is done in a very controlled and scientific manner. There's an entire contact and old one relations department. More information can be conveyed and the ritual grew more and more complex. That's an interesting theory too. I love this. Um, the whole reason they destroyed the world was because their single female lawyer was canceled. <laughs> <laughs> I am so upset about the idea of anyone being thrown into a volcano right now. So it's a, <laughs> oh my gosh um i'm trying to see like if there's anything else about the japanese version oh they said um among the differences aren't just who gets killed but who does the killing why how and there always needs to be a way to win for the target in the american game courage violence and cunning are the tools one needs to win in the japanese version insight unity and understanding understanding or what is needed to win you don't banish a hungry ghost by stabbing it or blowing it up you have to understand what it wants the love and warmth of the material world and give it to it binding it into an animal where it can return the cycle um and yeah they were saying um 
Someone said almost plot holy, but not really, never really thought about that. And then someone else responded, no, it's not. The different uh, roles of the Japanese scenario are based around their own horror movie tropes. I mean, that was what I figured, but it's like, they just didn't explain those roles and they focus so much on it that I was like, well, what are the roles there? Because they've got to be different. The underground system has to look different from how it does in America, because this is a totally different type of movie. Yeah. Um, but this person's like, it's just part of the meta nature of the movie. You just need to understand that the roles in Japan are different, but it's still achieving the same goal. Because then it's like, where else were they? Like, where was the dragon? Was that in like Spain or Germany or something like that? Maybe. Because wasn't there a dragon? I can't remember. <laughs> oh, my God. They just show like really quick feeds of other yeah. countries. I should pay more attention to the feeds. Um, yeah, the feeds are really interesting. I mean, this is like, I was like, what? Uh, like, I got really hung up on the rules. So then I spent a lot more time focusing on those. Oh, let's see. They said something about the Australian ritual. Okay, so here's another. There's a lot of, um, I, I hope this is interesting to people. It's interesting to me. And then we'll talk about other parts of the movie. I'm just very fixated on this. Um, the rules for other countries. So here is another question someone asked like six years ago on Reddit. Um, and they were saying like the brief clips we see in the Japanese operation show a very Sadako-esque girl, ghost girl, typical of Japanese horror. Um, since she's shown attacking a group of little girls, they're probably not following the same horror athlete, scholar, fool, virgin pattern. Maybe there are multiple ancient ones, each demanding a different ceremony be performed to sate them. And they said, but that wouldn't make sense since it only required one of the locations to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, or the one who is properly sated just goes to the others and is like, no, guys, these humans are totally cool. Maybe they'll do your thing next year. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but they were saying there's probably it's just like the control room. The gods are all hanging out. Come on, virgin sacrifice. I'll give you 10 bucks if it's if it's merman this year. I bet Japan will solve before America. <laughs> um, let's see. So, yeah, they were saying. um we may perceive them to be separate beings, but there's merely a shortcoming of our limited human brain's ability to know the unknowable. So long as one of the ancient ones faces this properly appeased, they won't awaken and consume the world. Um, someone said the Australian ritual was inadvertently successful in 2011 and managed to appease the ancient ones, which is why we're still breathing. Um, as per usual, a small group of backpackers were sourced and sent to the remote ritual site ignoring all war- warnings and travel advice however they accidentally ran over the appointed monster before they even reached the bloody camping ground we wrote the whole thing off and left it to the to the yanks um and japanese fortunately for everyone a local serial killer was in the area and straight up fed them to wildlife unbelievable luck totally out of the blue <laughs> whoa that's uh th- that came from the imperial bureau of information our cult has attributed the unfortunate loss of the american facility and all its personnel to the ancient one beneath the site the last report advised the lambs breached the facility and we can only conclude offended the ancient slumbering beneath wow that was um anyway i was like is this really going somewhere and then i was like no this is just someone's weird idea uh, <laughs> uh let's see oh oh that's interesting. Okay, this one actually says something. Uh, this is about horror tropes. Um, the Japanese site required several innocent schoolgirls and one who carries a dark, guilty secret oh. as follows most of their horror movies. That feels right. That yeah. feels right. Yeah. And they said all other sites all over the world require the tropes common in their horror shows. That's really, yep. 
I like that. I think that that is exactly it because it's like, yeah, most of them are innocent, right? They're like really young girls. You know, there's no reason that they, that they would, you know, it's not like they fall under these more guilty stereotypes like in America, but if Mm -hmm. there's one holding a, a guilty secret, then them and the other innocents need to go. I really, I really like that. Um, Wow. So there's a there's a TV tropes article called Horror Tropes and it's just it is uh it wow, it's a long list. Okay. It's a really long list. Like wow. It starts with abandoned hospital. Oh. Uh and it ends and it ends with hold on. Uh it ends with zombie puke attack so (laughs) you look like you've seen a ghost is one of them um that's really fun um let's see oh yeah stringy haired ghost girl (laughs) an uh often japanese female ghost with long black hair and white dress (laughs) (laughs) oh that's so excellent um so anyway so that was my biggest question i think my question has been answered at least uh in a way that's satisfied me a little bit um, for this year <laughs> for this year and yeah i'm looking to see like there is a so like fandom has a uh the kiko, kiko japanese floaty girl <laughs> is what they call her in the credits japanese floaty girl um and I'm just reading to see, it looks like this monster is shown to represent iconic J-horror cliches manifesting as a young girl with unkempt black hair and a white dress to represent. And on Rio, the link is valid, we swear. Um, oh, gosh. what? Um, oh, a vengeful spirit believed to be capable of causing harm in the world of the living, injuring or killing enemies, or even causing natural disasters to exact vengeance to readdress the wrongs it received while alive, then taking their spirits from other dying bodies. So maybe somebody in the room was like responsible for it happening or Mm -hmm. did something that made it happen. And then they were exacting revenge. So um, I'm guessing that that's kind of, that's kind of the way that it goes. And then, um, they need to probably admit that they did it to, you know what I mean? And then, yeah. and then all unite together to, to take it down. So I, yeah, I feel very sated now reading that. Um, it appears she was set loose within a school in Kyoto to target an all girls class of nine year olds who were sealed within a classroom without any adults. Um, at first Kiko succeeds in terrifying the would be sacrifices, but the organization's attempt is defeated by the class who band together in the face of chaos and death to perform an exorcism that binds Kiko's spirit to a frog. Either Kiko is bound to a happy frog or Kiko is turned to a frog so she can live happily depending on the translation and potentially the translator's competence. After the ritual, the girls celebrate and exclaim in Japanese, the evil has been defeated. Now (laughs) Kiko's spirit will live in the happy frog. It was later revealed there were no fatalities. This angers Gary Sitterson who watches them on his monitor. Yeah. Um, okay. Could I just say I love saying the evil has been defeated for like the most mundane things. <laughs> the evil has been defeated. <laughs> oh man! Like when I wash the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's so that. Do you? I mean, what kind of questions do you still have after? Because I, I've, I found more yet more questions. Um, I and I should just say I love this movie, and the yeah. only reason I'm picking it apart like this is because I can. 
but mm-hmm. I really love it and I wouldn't change it even though I have these questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I have questions. I just have like one thing that just really irritates me about the whole thing. Tell me. The one imperfection. Um, so you know how like they did something with like each of the people's like stuff to like turn them into the tropes? Yes. Where the fuck did this bitch get such a nice box die? That is not a box die job. <laughs> it's not. That's, that's so true. <laughs> she would be orange. She would be definitely orange if she if she used a box die. Because um, Madison Reed did not exist back then. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> impossible to do a good bleach on your own. I would never do it. The only time I've ever box dyed my hair was when I went like basically like black brown uh-huh. because I was like, that's unfuckupable. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I, I can't screw this up. If anything, I could just make it a little bit darker. And I knew that I wanted to stay that way for a while. So I was like, this is this is very low risk. But but um, all of my friends who are stylists. Uh, who I've uh, who I've gone to over the years, who I've worked with over the years, they have all told me like never go lighter on your own. And just I used never to because I was stupid yeah, and I thought I it. knew better. But like they were implying that she was that it was a pretty like um like sudden transformation. So that tells me that she was like a pretty dark brunette before. And so like not only does she have like this perfect like blonde job out of a box dye she went from one drastic tone like drastic like tone to another and that never works out you're right she would be orange yeah it's just yeah exactly i um i never thought about that um but that's because i always just go to the experts and go I, and I, and, and I, as soon as, anytime I go to a new stylist, I've been trained very well. You guys, I've had my, my hair has been every color. It's been pink. It's been purple. It's been blonde. It's been black. It's been red. It's been just every single, I've blue. Um, so I know what I'm talking about. And every time I'm prepared to make a major hair change, I sit down in the chair and I say, I understand that this may take three to four visits. I understand that it's going to take a while to lift what I have out of my hair. I understand mm-hmm. that I can't keep this forever because I have, I have fairly dark hair. Yeah. Um, and it takes a lot to lighten my hair, especially because I've been dyeing my hair since I was 10 years old. Yep, okay. same. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I, my first ever hair dyeing experience was when I d- did those two chunks and I had a center part and I did Ooh. that real chunky front highlight. When, the, in, the Kelly Clarkson? In night, no, just the front. Just oh. the, just that. Do you remember that? Oh, so the ginger. Like the ginger rope, spice. Like, yeah, the ginger <laughs> spice. Yeah. So it's just like just the front. Just one thick highlight, which is apparently I've seen youths do it now. So apparently it's back in style. So I was very trendy as a 10 year old. And um, yeah, that was the first thing I and I had to spend my own money to get highlights and get my hair dyed. My mom was like, I will pay for everything else you do to your hair, like your cut, whatever. But if you start coloring it, you have to pay for it. And I was like, worth it. And I, (laughs) I spent my allowance was like dyeing my hair. So I've been doing it forever. Yeah. And and yeah, I just sit down. I go, I know this will take three to four visits. I know this will not look 
the way I want it to right away. I know that it requires patience and I know that I can't keep doing it forever and I will have to go back to dark so yeah. that I do not fry. Cause I did fry the shit out of my hair, uh, once. Um, so yes, I agree with you. I should have thought about that. I just, uh, didn't because I, I guess <laughs> if they can like control <laughs> so much, um, I would like to think that they can also make a really good box hair dye. Yeah. But maybe, yeah, maybe that's really unrealistic. Or or maybe the writers were males and they didn't think to research this. (laughs) Yeah. Or, you know, like, what's that? There's there's that one stylist who's been getting really popular on YouTube and I forgot his name, but he watches people do at home hair stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and he and he just like reacts to people dyeing their hair at home and he's been doing it a lot during the quarantine since a lot of yeah. people had to do that and he's like oh no oh why are you doing you know but he actually um is very good about like okay if you're gonna do this at home i you know like i'd rather you not but if you do this at home this is what you have to remember and he goes through the rules and you and sometimes he watches people who have watched his videos and they're like well you know like he says you got to start on the ends and then go to the roots and he's like oh my god i can't believe you remember that and you're like but anyway um so maybe it's like one of those situations where you know yeah. even if it's a woman um a lot of us don't know a lot yeah. of us don't know any better so <laughs> it could be it could be that situation too. Yeah. I know yeah. my mom like when she let me color my hair, she always wanted me to go blonde even though it looked terrible. Like awful, awful. And but she was always insistent like you should go lighter, you should go lighter and I didn't really want to do that. So like I think <laughs> and but she would buy my dye for me. Oh, that's nice. But oh. then like one day um I was bored and Ghost World had just come out, and I really liked Thora Birch's hair, and she had taken me to the store, and I snuck off, and I had my own money, and I did, like, a little surreptitious, like, purchase of black hair dye. Yeah. And um, I went home, I waited until she was at work, and I did it, and oh my god. She was so mad. And that was like the first fight where it's like, this is my hair and I'll do what I want. She's like, I can't believe you did that. And even though when I when it like settled and I brushed my hair and like so much broke off into the comb, I was so satisfied that I had learned how to set out on my own. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's so interesting. Yeah. Like my mom didn't really care. She she was always cool. Like, she's like, listen, it's your hair. It's your money. You do what you want with it. And yeah. so like, I was allowed to kind of do whatever, but I always, I, we, I went to the same person to get yeah. my hair done since from my first haircut till like I was 20 years old, I went oh, yeah. to the same person. So, so she always like, you know, the two of us were very like conspiratorial and we'd be like, let's do pink this time. Like we were very like, she, she kind of instilled like, just be crazy. It's just hair. hairs. Like just, just go do whatever you want, you know? And I'm like, yeah, like this awesome. And so I always had that growing up. And then, and then I took that with me and I was brave enough because I have no I have no emotional attachment to my hair whatsoever. Mm. I I don't get upset about it 
at all. Like I'll grow it all the way out just to cut it boy short. And I'm like, whatever, who cares? You know? And, um, like I actually, I cut it super duper short, like the shortest I've ever had my hair right before I went to Spain. Cause I was uh-huh. like, I don't want to bring a hair dryer with me. Yeah. And I don't want to deal with outlets. So I'm just going to cut it really short. And I, and I, I've never had it so short and it was really actually super cute. I bet it was um, super cute. Yeah, it was fun. I liked doing that. But yeah, so she, you know, I, I just kind of am always like, whatever, like do whatever. And then I, and then I use that to my advantage and uh, started going to Aveda schools where it's like, you pay nothing and they'll do, they'll do all kinds of shit to your hair. And, you know, it's like, oh, if you screw up, I don't care what, you know, like I'm fine. Like I'll sign my rights away. Like it's okay. And I had really good results there. Like going to going to the school. It's like, if you want to do really daring shit to your hair on the cheap and you're not afraid, just let students do it. Yeah. You'll you'll save so much money. It's Mm -hmm. not even funny. Like, uh, versus like a couple hundred dollars or whatever, you know, it's like 60 bucks and you're like, what? (laughs) Awesome. Here you go. Um, but anyway, um, let's see. Okay. I have, I have a couple other questions that other people have posed. So I want to share these. Uh, One of them is what's the deal with the harbinger? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which I think is uh, just a, just a great question in general. Uh, since the sacrificial young people have come to their doom on their own volition, the harbinger provides a very important role by vaguely warning them of their impending deaths, thus offering them one less chance to turn around. So that happens in a lot of movies too, right? Like, And that's like that South Park, you don't want to go down that road. <laughs> that road leads to the old... Don't go down that road. You, know. you don't want to go down that road. Well, that's, uh, a, that's an homage to cemetery. Right, exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. but, but with butters, so it's better. Um, regardless yeah. of what type, regardless of what type of horror story each group chooses, they all begin at the cabin and they all go through the same nasty uh, harbinger, Mordecai. The question is: At one point, is the harbinger acting, and at one point, is he a real guy? His gas station appears to be a functioning prop, and you'd assume he only occupies it for these annual events. But it kind of looks like he lives there. And, you know, like of all the workers doing this, he remains the sole zealot approaching his task with religious fervor, indicating a more personal than usual interest in his role. His yeah. name is Mordecai for Pete's sake. Then again, he appears to drop the character completely when he realizes he's his, he's been put on speakerphone. So who knows? Yeah. He's a I, method actor. Yeah. The thing is really weird where he's just like, yeah, the, the young ones and the fool and all of these and the whore has to be blah, blah. And then he's like, wait, am I on speakerphone? Yeah. <laughs> I don't like it when you put me on speakerphone. Can you take me off? Anyway, okay, they will be smote and it will be. And you're like, what the? Um, I think that's a really, that's a really good question. Um, Let's see. Here's another question. Uh, What is employment like downstairs? Simple assumptions can take us pretty far regarding the strange organization pulling the strings throughout the cabin in the woods. The government offered offers a likely enough origin for most of these employees from the obvious soldiers to the chemists to the cleanup crews. There's no burning question there, but I want to know about the bigwigs, not just Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford's casual old pros, but Sigourney Weaver's director character as well. What does her job entail when things go smoothly? Does this company promote from within? If so, is it a well-functioning meritocracy or does it suffer from the Peter principle? (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay. <laughs> uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the Peter principle, it's the idea that like you're you're promoting people to management where they're going to manage other people just because they have really good skills at what they do, but that doesn't necessarily take into account that they actually have good soft skills to do the job of a manager. Um, uh. And uh, you see this in every organization where oh my gosh, this person has just been around long enough to get promoted, but they cannot manage a team and that is not one of their skills and they will never be good at it. And so why are you putting them in a management position? You should just make them a specialist and you should not make them manage a team because those are two two separate types of skills. I mean, um, I was with somebody who was like this, who was who was skilled at what they did. But if if you ever gave them a chance to manage a team, that would be a really horrible idea. Yeah. And you should never let them do that. Um, I should never be a manager <laughs> ever. Whereas I'm like, put me in, coach. Yeah. Um, so you gotta you gotta be I, smart. I gotta know my weaknesses. I I feel like I would thrive in a consultant role. Yeah. See, but- there you go. Don't give me people to Don't. manage. <laughs> and I'm like, I just want to, I just want to grow. I just want to grow talent. Like, I'm like, that's exciting to me. It's more satisfying to me than me succeeding is yeah. watching somebody else succeed. Um, but anyway, so the Peter Principle, that's a really, it's a really interesting series of articles. If you ever want to uh, Google the Peter Principle. Uh, Jenkins and Whitford seem like blowhards at first, but Jenkins' character rewires that tunnel cave in like a boss, so they're not idiots. The operation is not as cutthroat as you'd expect either, since our guys weren't killed or fired after the 1998 fiasco. Interesting. That's a good question. What does a management structure look like? And um, and yeah, what does a promotion structure look like? And how many screw-ups do they allow before they fire these people? Uh <laughs> Uh, why is everything falling apart? The first half of Cabin in the Woods. By the way, this is from ScreenCrush.com. Cabin okay. in the Woods. Un- unanswered questions. I always want to cite where I'm pulling these from. The first half of the Cabin in the Woods focuses on a business as usual attitude regarding the workers beneath the cabin. This annual occupation will go off as planned, just as it has countless times before, excluding the glitch in 1998. But things don't go as planned. Sacrifices go awry, not just here, but worldwide. We hear about Sweden's failure first, but pretty soon it's just down to America and Japan. And when those cute little Japanese kids turn their J-horror ghosts into a frog, we're all that's left. Then the world ends. So why the unprecedented failure? Even when every other country fails with Japan and America, Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford seem more or less unfazed. Apparently other countries countries fail with predictable frequency. But this level of disaster seems almost engineered in its thoroughness. If Japan has a flawless record and America hasn't had a script since 1998, what are the odds that they'd both fail on the same year? That's a good question. I like that question. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe why the gods is- just wanted to reboot. Yeah, maybe. It seems like it. Mm-hmm. Why does Chris Hemsworth's death count? Um, as near as I can tell, this film's pre- premise involves ancient gods under the earth who crack a team who a crack team of technicians placate with human sacrifices, but the team can't just walk up to college students and shoot them in the noggin. The desk must adhere to a set of rules designed for maximum entertainment. uh, Deviation from these rules, if the version dies, for instance, first, terminates in an abrupt halt of total existence. So the desk needs to entertain the ancient ones basically the same way a horror film entertains us. That's a great premise, but it also makes Kurt's death a bit problematic. While motorcycle jumping over a chasm in order to get help, Kurt smashes headfirst into an invisible science fiction barrier. (laughs) 
<laughs> and falls lifeless into an abyss. The zombies don't kill him. The situation does. While that's a cool death, it's also a death that calls attention to the whole setup's artificiality, which seems like the kind of thing that would anger the picky ancient ones. If you want to stick with the wee horror fans or the gods metaphor, you have to imagine a film where someone running away from Michael Myers suddenly smacks into an invisible wall simply so they can't get away. That's cheating. Um that's interesting. That's an interesting question too. I mean, I really liked the reveal because it's I, I, for me the horror fans. I thought it was really interesting because mm-hmm. you see at the beginning that bird running into it, so it's like you want that to play off later. Um, and yeah, I, I I was I really liked that part. So yeah, and also my big question was it appropriate to laugh at that part? Because like every time it gets me, and I do like this really ugly. shock laugh that's almost like a shriek well because well because it's like it's like he turns from a human to like a bug yeah you know what i mean where it's like like the the bouncing off the wall uh like it it is like the sound is funny the the action is funny that he just he he goes from this like really powerful dude to like uh-huh. an absolutely like helpless insect in like a matter of seconds i think is really interesting so yeah. um i don't think you're wrong to giggle at that um let's the, see the kids are right to laugh at you Ralph. yeah the kids are right <laughs> to laugh at you what were the other horror films like? We get to see America's sacrifice horror film, and it's typical enough that even non-horror fans can probably grasp the cleverness. We also get to witness just enough of Japan's to catch the general gist. But what of the others? A whole slew of countries gets name-dropped, but without a PhD in international horror, it's hard to know what each scenario looked like. What happens in a cliche Swedish horror film? Berlin is just a big fire. What's that about? Um Buenos um, Aires think- has a King Kong-looking thing with horns. Interesting. Sorry. Maybe, maybe Sweden's like like the snow monster type deals, like trolls. Could be trolls. Or, yeah. Um, or really like artsy fuck vampires. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Germany's just weird neighbors. And yeah. <laughs> Uh, what happened in 1998? Um, yeah, they said they haven't had a mess up since 1998. Um, oh, so, so someone said... Um, Let's see. Many think they have an answer. The faculty, basically the virgin in this one ends up being the monster rather than the final girl. Furthermore, no one really dies. Zero fatalities. They say the glitch was specifically a chemical problem, though, and that makes it harder to pinpoint. Plus, the faculty did not take place in a cabin. The focus of this particular line remains interesting but inconclusive. What's the... I don't even know the faculty. Movie. Oh, yeah. The faculty is like a pod people type horror movie oh, that takes place okay. in high school. Got it. So they think maybe it could be the faculty. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Look at that cast. Shit. Yeah, that's worth a rewatch. Uh, yeah, and they said, because that took place in 1998. Maybe we should watch that. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that looks great. Okay, cool. Um, I would be totally down for watching the faculty. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so that was their best guess in terms of like, if you look at the horror movies by, by year, that, that could be what, what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, I like that. Uh, what's with the two way mirror? This was my question. Um, Oh, and then, yeah, my other question was, like, yeah, why does he immediately start undressing in front of the mirror that he knows that she can see him through? Like, he said he put the 
picture back, but he didn't. Um, and so he knows that that's not up on the wall. And then he just starts undressing. Um, this is a thirst trap. I think so a little bit. That's what I thought, at least. Uh, do they have a gas for everything? <laughs> so as the kids settle into the cabin, they begin to take on familiar horror trope roles, even when it doesn't actually fit their personalities. We're not really sure how this is done. With Jules, uh, they know, we know they limit her intellect with hair dye. With Marty, he's supposed to have less mental capacity thanks to some treated weed. But by what method does Kurt suddenly become a meathead jock? And how does Holden go from regular guy to egghead? It must be the gas. The film only shows us gas that makes you stupid and gas that makes you horny. If they can do that, surely they can also pipe in gas that makes you smart and gas that raises your testosterone level. But gas is breathable by anyone. What would happen if Jules got all the t- testosterone and said, or if Marty accidentally breathed in a bunch of horny gas? It seems weird that this reliance on gas wouldn't lead to more accidents. <laughs> Indeed. That's a good question. Um, that was a really good article. Uh, good unanswered questions. But yeah, um, one other question I had, I think, to close things up, unless you have any more questions uh, or things you wanted to talk about, was um, what would you have made the same decision as the characters at the end to allow the world to end? Would you have done the same thing? No. I don't think I would, because I'm not jaded. (laughs) So you're like, yeah, I'm cool with like a group of people in every country in the world dying each year to keep this going. That's a small price to pay. This is like a trolley problem question. It is a trolley problem. (laughs) But in order to be like, nah, fuck it, you'd have to be like, well, everyone on this planet is completely irredeemable. So fuck it. Let's all die. And I'm not that person. Okay. That's so, so no, I would I would have shot Marty. You would have shot Marty. Yes. Um uh, I'm not sure what I would have done. And I think about this every time I watch the movie. Like, would I have just kept going or would I let the world end? I like the idea of Especially right now with everything just being like a friggin' trash fire. Like if this happened now, I'd be like, yeah, just take us. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, because I do like the argument of like we had our chance. That's, yeah. Yeah, we had our chance and we keep screwing up and they're not happy with us. And like, and and I just think about they're at some point this is going to At some point this is going to end, right? At some yeah. point. We won't be able to if they keep raising the stakes and it's not just about throwing throwing someone in a volcano anymore. Now they demand a unique scenario out of every country participating in this. And Mm -hmm. we have to do this every year and it's going to get more and more sophisticated. You could see it expanding to something like the purge or, you know what I mean? Like something more widespread where it's like, this is just going to get worse. They're just going to keep raising the stakes. They're just going to keep asking us for more. And we're just their friggin' puppets. Okay. And we're just doing all this to please them. So, and like, I think that's kind of Marty's thought on it. Like, when is this going to end? Like Mm -hmm. if this keeps happening and we have to do this, it's not just like five people are dying. Okay. This is like five people are dying just in our country, just this year. But all of these other people have to participate. And if they fail, then more people die. And we're trying to help, like, you know, like they're trying to help themselves succeed, but there's no guarantee that they'll ever succeed. Like, I like the idea of this is, I mean, we're not, 
like, what kind of a life is that? If we're just living from year to year, but ultimately our fate is decided by these things that live under the ground and we're just, and we're just put here on earth to entertain them. And they're not happy with the way that we're running things and they could just destroy us whenever they feel like it anyway. Let's just let them have it. Like, forget it. You know, and I so I kind of get that that idea, um, but I still don't know if I would have chosen that because I feel like I'd be like, I ah, that's a lot of responsibility. I don't know if yeah. I can that. Like, I don't know if I should be the one to decide that. It's I mean, cool I might kill he- Marty and then go kill myself, but yeah, <laughs> but he's just like you know that he's just like fuck it, you know, like I I'll be the one to decide this. It's like I mean that really does that that really does like. um make him so much more heroic yeah. uh, that he took it upon himself to like, you just see him as some, someone who would never make a decision on his own. Mm-hmm. And he's like, gets more and more empowered as the movie goes on. And I think that that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I wanted to know what you thought about that. Cause I always waffle on that. Every time I watch it, I feel like I have a different, I have a different yeah. feeling about what I would do. <laughs> um, any other, any other little, little lingering things? No, I think we've covered it so thoroughly. That's and so like, good. <laughs> and like, if you're listening to this and like you were waiting for like our beat by beat recap, because for some reason you haven't seen this, just wiki it. Like, or just watch it. Or just watch it. Just watch it again. Uh, yeah, again. don't wiki it if you haven't if you haven't seen it. Don't don't wiki it. Well, we've told you plenty, but you should just yeah. go watch it. Um uh one okay, I'm gonna close with this because I think this is really good. Um, there are too many baddies to name in the full list of monsters. There is a list that you can read. This yeah. is this also comes from Mental Floss. Um, so if you go, there's a Cabin in the Woods wiki that lists every single monster that is in the movie. And it is a really friggin' long list. Like, I, I can't even tell you how long. Um, but among the witches, sexy witches, mermen, and unicorns, there's Kevin. Uh, he's a kind he's a kind seeming dude who might show you where the movie section is in Best Buy, but dismembers people during his time off. Uh, it's possible that he's a reference to the relaxed, quietly sadistic slasher played by Elijah Wood in the movie version of Sin City. Yeah. So there is there is a character in the movie called called Kevin. Um, so keep an eye out for Kevin. Yes. That's all I have to say. Um, he's one of the monsters seen on the whiteboard. Nobody pets bets on him, but he is. Um, oh, he's summoned by the film strip. Mm. So, uh, you, yeah, he's a sweet looking guy on the surface who appears normal, but underneath is this. I forgot about the film strip. So Marty picked up the film strip. Uh, I might have really wanted to see that. I think that that would be pretty cool. Um, they were saying kind of like uh, Norman Bates and Psycho or uh, Sin City's Kevin, who fits that description. Um, or uh, also uh, Kevin from We Need to Talk About Kevin uh, could also be another Kevin. All right. <laughs> so let's just end this with a lot of Kevins. Yes, so many Kevins. Um, and what's what's up next, Mandy? Um, I thought this would be a hard decision but then i like i googled like meta horror films and it like jumped out and i should have come up with it right away because 
before Scream could run, um, Wes Craven's new nightmare walked. And I feel like the genre owes a lot to this movie. And uh, we're going to watch it because I also I love Freddy movies. Yeah, Freddy movies are great. So I'm totally in support of that. (laughs) It is my third favorite Freddy movie. The list goes one, three and new nightmare. But it is the out of those three, it is the best Heather Loggenkamp uh, performances. There you go. Yes. Perfect. All right. So uh, look forward to our next episode, which is going to be Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Woo! Yes. So be kind to each other. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. Be sweet. Look your look your um look your staff in the eye. Look your staff in the eye. Don't be an Ellen. Oh, my God. I was like, what? I'm so glad. I mean, sounds like the show might be over. Yeah. Uh, Finally. I mean, God, it's like everybody knew about that for years. And now it's like, what? She's terrible? It's like, yes. People have been talking. This is not news. Uh, Yeah. Look your staff in the eye. Um, uh, Be nice to all teachers. (laughs) And don't be racist. Yes. (laughs) Bye. 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 Thank you.